Weird stuff with chicken blood. Naked in a church. It's Hans Schmidt, the prequel! You're listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here are your hosts, Christy, Amber, and Scott. Timey Grimey! I'm Christy. I'm Scott. And I'm Amber. And we are going to talk about a murder, or maybe more. But first, uh, we are going to do Rays of Light. So, Scott, why don't you go first? What's your Ray of Light this week? My Ray of Light is that I am using a new little program uh, called timeanddate.com. So, anytime that somebody slips up, I press a little button, and it marks the time down. And instead of me having to listen to the entire podcast again, which, I mean, it's worth it. It's a good podcast, but I was here, <laughs> so I couldn't have to listen to it twice. Now I can just go to where it says on the clock and, and fix the problem. That's, That's awesome. awesome. Yes. Love it. Um, Amber, what's yours? Uh, my ray of light is actually you guys, because this is the first week I've gotten to see people, granted, 10 feet apart with masks, but I got to see both Christy and Scott this week, which was awesome. Yes, thank you for doing my taxes, even though you Anytime. scared the fuck out of me. <laughs> <laughs> I, get this, so, I get this message that says, your uh, federal taxes, 850, your state taxes, uh, 275. It's like, shit, I owe a lot. How did this happen? <laughs> and I, 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 I call Amber on the phone and go, uh... Is that what I... She goes, no, that's what you're getting back. And oh, thank God. <laughs> so I didn't even think that he had paid taxes last year. Yeah, like and $400 worth in taxes. So, like, it didn't even register to me that that would be a fear. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're getting money back. Here it is. And, like, immediately my phone rings. He's like, what the fuck? Like <laughs> <laughs> well, my ray of light this week is I actually have a little pen pal. Uh, my friend's daughter, I'm going to be vague because I, I, she values her privacy, um, but uh, I'm going to have her listen to this so she know you know who you are. Um, her daughter, uh, she's under the age of 10, and I sent her a little something, you know, earlier, a couple months ago, just a little art project that she could do. And she sent me like a birthday card, and I sent her a, you know, a letter, and she sent me a letter. I sent her some stickers. She sent me a bracelet. Uh, so it's just been this back and forth that we've been writing to each other. And it's just, I, I, I love this sort of generational continuity because her mom and I used to like slip each other notes in high school, you know, Aww. so now we are like a couple decades later and I'm pen pals with her daughter and, you know, she's talking about how she, you know, she has like four PPSs on the bottom, like PS, PPS, PPPS, and like, <laughs> One of her chickens is broody and she's getting a kitten in December. And it's just, it's so, it's, I, I get so excited when these letters come in the mail and it's like, I'm a little kid. And oh my God. I know who you're talking about. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. I do. <laughs> well, so yeah, one of the most uh, wonderful people in the world who has the most w wonderful daughter in the world. So one of the most, it's hard to say, just know that I think everybody is wonderful. Okay. <laughs> I was really trying not to exclude anything because, you know, I think your daughters are wonderful. <laughs> I think my niece is wonderful, you know? Okay, so look, I know my, my kids are not wonderful. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I, I just picture like, Amber going like, let's see. 
If I wait until they're 18 to punch them, it's no longer a felony. It's a misdemeanor. And she's just marking days off on a calendar for each child when they turn 18. Anytime <laughs> Carter does something wrong, she goes, just you wait, man. I've got this date. Mm-hmm. Saving it up. I'm just going to punch you Okay, right in so the face. you are much more of an optimist than I am because I'm going to be shocked if they all make it to 18. <laughs> Dude, Max what? broke a wooden paintbrush today and then tried to stab his sister with it. He's two. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, like, they're going to be on a true crime thing eventually and not as a guest star. All right, well, let's talk about some stabbing on a true crime thing then. All right. <laughs> I was waiting. I was going to swoop in there. <laughs> waiting for the segue. Good swooping. So we are going to be... Thank you. Might be the episode title. We'll see. We are going to be talking about uh, one Theodore Durant. And uh, we just recorded the old tiny. If you listen to these on the day they're released, you listen to it like four days ago. No, your ears do not deceive you. This is two Theodores in one week. What's, what's wrong with Theodores? I have to ask. I'm sorry to any Theodores who are listening to us, but uh, something is wrong. So we start in San Francisco on April 3rd, 1895. This is in the Mission District, and it's close to what's going to be a prime location in this tale. This is Emmanuel Baptist Church. And a young woman and a young man, they meet up and they take the streetcar together. Now, this young woman... Uh, she comes from a house on Bartlett Street. It's the home of Trifina and Charles Noble. And we're going to uh, very quickly start calling uh, Trifina Auntie T because she is the aunt of this young woman whose name is Blanche Lamont. She had gone to her aunt and uncle Noble's house from Dillon, Montana, um, just a few months before. She was determined to become a teacher. Now, she had actually taught in Montana in a one-room schoolhouse, uh, but six months before this, this time period in San Francisco, she had been down and out with typhoid fever. So she's a really determined young lady, and she wants to, she wants to get out of her small Montana town, and she wants to get some formal training. She's 21 years old. She's smart. She's pretty. She has dark hair. She tends to be kind of shy with strangers, but once people get to know her, she's really open and, and engaging. Uh, she's already beloved by the congregation at Emmanuel Baptist Church. And she would go to school at Lowell High School in the mornings. She'd go to the normal school in the afternoons for cooking and lessons. I personally would prefer to go to the abnormal school, but that's me. <laughs> me too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and she had violin lessons on Wednesdays, and uh, those violin lessons took place at her home and she played in the Emmanuel Baptist Church Orchestra. She had lots of friends, both young men and young women. Her aunt approved of everybody and always knew who she was with and she wasn't really off gallivanting too much anyhow. Gallivanting. Gallivanting. That sounds like a that sounds like a name, quite honestly. Gallivanting sounds like a name. Whenever Bob Gallivanting? Doing, Bob Gallivanting or Gallivanting Gallivanting is a good enough first name if your first name's fucking Trifina. <laughs> Trifina Gallivanting. Yes, it <laughs> fucking it. works. Trifina Gallivanting completely works. If your name is Trifina, you're either going to be on an old-timey true crime podcast like you are, or you're some sort of female transformer. There's no other, <laughs> there's no two ways about it. Okay, I really want you to say old-timey true crime 
really fast, like five times. Old timey true crime, old timey true crime, old timey true crime, old timey true crime, old timey true crime. <laughs> and now you're German. Okay. Yeah. Der <laughs> <laughs> Blanche leaves the house at 8 a.m. this morning, April 3rd. She Now, her violin lesson is scheduled for 3, and she tells Auntie T, she says, should I just go with Aunt T? It's, it's looked good on in print, but it's not sounding good when I say it. It sounds like I'm, it, it's a, a vehicle in Star Wars. Yeah, right? <laughs> not working. Damn it. I was really enjoying the Auntie T. Okay, so Aunt Trifina. I'm just going to go with Aunt Trifina. She tells Aunt Trifina that she'll be back in plenty of time for her violin lesson, and then she meets up with William Henry Theodore Durant, also known as Theo, at Mission Street. And now Aunt Trifina and everybody loved Theo. He is 24. He's very slender. He is 5'5 and only 115 pounds because he's still recovering from a seven-week bout with brain fever, a.k.a. meningitis, uh, in the spring of 1894, he'd had that, and he had, at this point, gained back uh, 25 of the 40 pounds he had lost to the illness. Wow. Damn. Yeah, right? And Blanche is actually a few inches taller than him. Uh, he has reddish-brown hair, hazel eyes. He has a droopy but well-groomed mustache, and interestingly, one ear that stuck out more than the other. And you don't see it until you you, you hear that, and then you look at the pictures, and you're like, Oh, yeah, there it is. You're a freak. <laughs> so I would say if uh, we were making a movie out of this, because I kept on staring at him, and if anybody can tell me who he reminds you of, please let me know. Email me at oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com or get on our social media, because I can't quite figure it out. I could cast him, but they're lookalikes. They're not. He's honestly a doppelganger almost for somebody. I think it's somebody in Hollywood. So Dude, give me that name one more time. I'm looking him up right now and I'll tell you exactly who he no, is. No, no, no. It's going to spoil things for you. Don't look it up yet. Don't look it up. Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, he would be played, I would say, Jared Leto in the movie or Zac Efron or Jake Gyllenhaal. But I think actually I've come up with a new theory that they're all the same person at different stages of his life existing all at once. Like he's like, he's a, a universal, like constant. Yes. Yes. I think, I think, uh, Jared, Zach, Jake, Leto, Efron, Gyllenhaal is, is, is just, uh, exists throughout all time and space. Okay. I can live with that. I, so can I, because uh, the the more the merrier as far as that as far as those dishes are concerned. Oh no, <laughs> no, you're going to be part of Jared Leto's cult, aren't you? Well, I think he's handsome and he was really good on My So Called Life, but after that, he kind of became, from my understanding, kind of a pompous ass. Sorry if you're listening, Jared. <laughs> I would tap some Jill and Hall personally. I'd... Oh yes, <laughs> Efron's a little on the young side for me. Maggie yeah. Gyllenhaal. Maggie Gyllenhaal looks like she uh, she took tape that tape and pulled her nose back, and it stayed that way. Like Maggie Gyllenhaal is honestly unsettling for me to look at. I think she's Aww. cute. That's mean. That's mean. Oh, Scott's so, mean. So me saying me saying all the horrible things that I said about the Spider Man the old time he cry me. <laughs> that's just fine. I say Maggie Gyllenhaal has a weird nose, and all of a sudden I'm a fucking mean bastard. Well, guess what? Maggie, Maggie wouldn't a... Maggie wouldn't sleep with me either. Now who's the bitch? It's her. 
just gonna just a, a quick note that I feel is important. Maggie Gyllenhaal hasn't killed anybody that we know of. <laughs> she did. We're make gonna that, get libel suits. She did I make said that, that we know of. She did make that secretary movie with James Spader, and that was a crime in and of itself. <laughs> All right. <laughs> So Theo Durant, he's a sharp dresser. He dresses and acts very gentlemanly. And he is very in demand as a potential husband by the parents of the many young women at Emmanuel Baptist. And as we can see, the aunt of one young woman, Trifina, who absolutely made sure that she got those introductions going not long after Blanche got to San Francisco. You can be sure that she looked around as soon as she got that letter from Blanche saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to come and live with you. She was like, okay, hmm, who can I match her up with? We've got to get her out of the house before she's an old maid, <laughs> which will be in about three seconds. Hmm. So the, the Durant family had... Uh, they they were on the move in the early to mid 1800s before Theo was born. Uh, they started in England and Canada, and there again we have another connection: Canadian immigrants. <laughs> Apparently, you, you all like to come down and kill people. Um, <laughs> and sorry, Canada, we love you, and we know that's not true. Uh, so he was born in Canada in 1871 to William and Isabella Durant. He has one sister, Beulah Maud Durant, but she just goes by Maud. And she, which neither of those are attractive choices. So, I mean, I guess lesser of two evils. I guess so. Uh, Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? And she is, yeah, right. And she is probably two years younger than him some sources vary but that's that's what i'm going with two years younger and they are very close but she left that year in 1895 to study music in berlin so and there's some word that his father may have had some depression issues and may have had some money troubles he was his father was a quiet and unambitious man uh, a shoemaker who just kind of kept up the family trade who is married to a very spirited and ambitious woman isabella she wanted the people she loved to succeed and she was very close to her children they were quite attached to her even when uh, william was home and sleeping under the same roof but not in the same room apparently she would beg theo to sleep in her room to make her feel safe and he would actually refuse but uh again uh, shades of hans schmidt there I've actually just got done looking up uh, a picture of Theodore Durant, and he looks like the actor Nick Zano. How do you spell that? Z-A-N-O, Nick Zano. And one look at Nick, and you should just forget all about that cult leader, Jared Leto. Yeah, I'm still not finding that uh, that doppelganger connection I was looking for. Hmm. It's, it's still a similarity, but it's still not quite there. But I'm just going to go ahead and leave those pictures up on my screen. <laughs> I, know, <laughs> I know what women want. <laughs> it's Nick Zano. I've never even heard that name before right now. Trust he should me. be on your screen, too. Trust me. You'll want him on your screen. <laughs> this, this got dirty. Yeah, this, for you, ladies. Like, for me, this is doing really nothing for me. I'm just happy because he plays Steel in the new Legends of Tomorrow TV show. So he's like a superhero. Yeah, yeah, I like him. He's funny. He accidentally said my nickname one night. 
and I went all on Twitter. Maybe I'm a little gay. I don't know. <laughs> so Theo is known to be, as he's growing up, a, a, he's, he's a good kid with a big heart. He loves to share. He would bring home and nurse wounded animals back to health. Uh, he was good with his hands and mechanical stuff. He loved cycling. He was actually so good at mechanical stuff that uh, when he was at Cogswell Polytechnical College, he and two other boys set up an academic communication system by a telegraph uh, that was super popular. Uh, so basically, they set up this little telegraph system to share notes and information. And you know, it was you know like a proto school network type thing. So um, now. Isabella, she had a lot of ambitions for her son, her, or sorry, for her husband, and those didn't really uh, go anywhere. So she kind of transferred them over to her son, and uh, he wanted to be an engineer, but she really wanted him to go to med school. So even though it wasn't his first choice, he went, and he did do his best to make it work. He goes to Cooper Medical School, which would be acquired by Stanford just 13 years later. So uh, a pretty pretty prestigious it's got to it's got to have something to it uh in its program this was actually the first medical school in the west it was founded in 1858 and admitted it's okay actually i want to play a game in what year do you think cooper medical school founded in 1858 acquired its first female student scott you go first 1962 amber 1982 1877. Whoa. No shit. Right? I Forward. know. I'm actually like proud of old timey people. Dr. Quinn. I'm impressed. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, hooray. I thought it was going to be something awful. I was like, last year. <laughs> right. They never have. <laughs> Nothing but wieners for miles and miles. It's the most medical sausage party you've ever been to. So Theo Durant is also a bugler in the Signal Corps of the National Guard. Uh, basically, just all about communicating between divisions and stuff. Uh, he's super, super into church. He was the assistant superintendent at Emmanuel Baptist, and he did it all. He helped maintain the building. He would plan outings for the young people. He would is uh, was the assistant Sunday school director, and he was all about that church library. He wanted to make it the best church library in San Francisco. So those are our two, at the moment, uh, central figures here. And Theo Durant meets up with Blanche DeMont. They hop on the streetcar to ride to their respective schools together. It takes three cars to get them there. And each conductor remembered seeing them. One of them even thought that Theo was maybe being a little overly familiar with Blanche. So Blanche goes to her schools and Theo picks her up at the normal school at 3 p.m. He's actually spotted pacing uh, shortly before her school lets out and looks rather uh, rather anxious or upset or worried. It's, it's unable to tell, but somebody was watching and they were like, something's not quite right here. But he, he perked up when she came out. And uh, a few other students also took special note of the fact that he was escorting her home because it was actually forbidden to have a male escort to or from the normal school. But, you know, Blanche was new, so they were like, uh, she just doesn't know the rules. We'll, 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 we'll tell her when we see her next. That's an odd rule that you aren't... It's like, it's like social distancing, 1850. If you get within six feet of a man then you're going to get the vagina fever. <laughs> well, I mean, like, I get that. 
You still have those, <laughs> no. you have those still have those uh, pictures of Nick Zeno up there, don't you? Yep. <laughs> and now a word from our good friends over at the Poisoner's Cabinet. If you love us, you're gonna love them. Hello. Would you like to drink cocktails and talk about poison, or drink poison and talk about cocktails? Then welcome to the Poisoner's Cabinet, a weekly podcast mixing true crime, historic mysteries, a dash of comedy, and lots of lovely libations for your listening pleasure. Join us for a drink as we tell the story of a different deadly poisoner each week. We always start by whipping up a cocktail inspired by the tale that we tell. Ooh, sounds delicious. Ooh, so maybe an amaretto sour for a cyanide poisoning? Long Island iced tea for the teacup poisoner. Chicken for William Palmer? What? Nothing. Join Nick and Sinead every Friday inside the Poisoner's Cabinet as we look at vicious Victorians, inheritance powders and crimes of Poisoner's Passion. Follow us at the Poisoner's Cabinet on social media. Subscribe and share on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, your loved ones are trying to kill you. So, uh, and then on the way, uh, they, they, they take the streetcar... Uh, several other people who know either him or her or both of them see them together that's fellow students again streetcar operators family friends church members um they can basically be tracked across the city they get off the streetcar at 22nd and valencia which is right by the church and they're all noticed again by a church member who lived across the street uh, theo unlocks the gate, church gate and this is around 4 15 p.m and he, uh, he and Blanche go into the church. At 5 p.m., George King, uh, he is the church, church organist and choir director. And I do remember seeing his age somewhere, but I don't know if I remember to write it down. He's quite young. It sounds like church organist and choir director. You're expecting to be in his 50s. He's like 16 or something. Oh. Wow. I know, right? It was either <laughs> this or uh, delivering newspapers. <laughs> He's, uh, he's taking care of some, some shit at the church, and then uh, Theo Durant comes down from the belfry, and he's pale, he's shaky. He says, oh, I was trying to find a, you know, a gas leak up there, and I, got a, I inhaled some gas, and he just it seems, to be, uh, he seems to be off. Uh, back to uh, Aunt Trifina, Blanche does not show up for her violin lessons, and then she doesn't show up at all. So Trifina's like, well, there's a prayer meeting at church. Maybe she, you know, lost track of time with a friend, and they'll go to the prayer meeting together. So Aunt Trifina goes. Uh, she's thinking, Blanche will be here, and Blanche does not be here. And Theodorant actually sits behind her, and he he asks, he says, did Blanche come to the meeting? And she just says, no, she, she didn't come. Doesn't mention anything about, you know, being worried or concerned. Now, at some point, sometime between now and Friday, the police are called and we get Detective Abraham Anthony on the case. Cut to Friday and Theo Durant comes to the noble house. He has a book for Blanche and uh, Blanche's sister, who also is named Maud. Really popular name, I guess. <laughs> Wait, Blanche? Maud? I isn't this the Golden Girls? No, that's Blanche Rose... Uh... Dorothy and Sophia. God damn it, that's right. B. Arthur played Maud in another uh, TV series. She played a There's your connection. Maud. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> there you go. So Theo comes to the noble house with a book for Blanche. Her sister Maud opens the door. He asks for her, but the family is actually keeping the absence, disappearance from everyone but the police. So uh, little Maud, she just says, well, Blanche left for school. 
And the book is actually William Makepeace Thackeray's novel, The Newcomes, in which the first instance of the word capitalism in the English language appears. Hmm. Love me some weird trivia. <laughs> so the police talk to the students who saw Blanche with Theo. Uh, they, this, the, these fellow classmates of Blanche, they don't know him, but they do describe him. And uh, so the, the nobles family, they're like, well, that sounds like Dr. Vogel, the dentist. So they go and they talk to Dr. Vogel. Dr. Vogel's like, that sounds like Theo Durant. Oh, and by the way, my wife saw him with her that afternoon. Uh, Theo, or sorry, Dr. Vogel, I, I believe, if I'm tying everything to get together correctly, lives across from the church. So his wife would have been the last one to have seen Blanche, as far as we know. They do interview Theo, and he says, I didn't see Blanche uh, that afternoon. I didn't see her at all, even though pretty much everybody saw them together that day. They said, yeah. I, we didn't say anything because it's Theo. You know, it's Theo. He's the good guy. He's the church guy. He's, uh, He's gonna be a doctor. A good guy. He's, He's such a good boy. He's harmless. He's fine. He must have spilled Kool Aid all over himself, though. <laughs> <laughs> there is one young woman who says, "Well, he kind of like lured me into the church library once, and then he left." for a couple of minutes and when he came back he his clothes were mysteriously absent so if you want to investigate the disappearance of his clothing you can get on that too oh dear ah. my, my clothes have vanished how, how embarrassing look at my massive wiener that's you know a young woman will vanish that's like a really weird pickup line like wait here for a minute i'll be right back naked like <laughs> yeah. does that work often like i wouldn't think it would but i mean we could Let's try not. it <laughs> Especially not in 1895 with young virgins. <laughs> like, here's your first glimpse of a penis you weren't expecting at all and nobody prepared you for. You know what, though? He's just a real go-getter, that Theo. Yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's a real go-getter, all right. And, you know, everybody <laughs> loves him. One of his classmates asks him, they're like, what do you think happened to Blanche? And he says, well, you know what I think? I think that she was coerced to prostitution. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, he's got some stories. And uh, so there are some sources that say that he even implied as much to Aunt Trifina as well when she asked him. Uh, so that's definitely seems a little off. Uh, on April 9th, about six days after the last time Blanche was seen, Maud Lamont puts an ad in the personals that is, oh, says, Blanche, no matter what has happened, come back to me, Maud. Aww. Yeah. Aww. So on Saturday, April 13th, it's been 10 days, and this is the day before Easter. Aunt Trifina gets a package. It's anonymous. There's no return address. It's a, a, a newspaper. She opens up the newspaper, and inside are three rings, and they are Blanche's. There is some writing on the newspaper. George R. King and Professor Schoenstein. Now you guys will remember George King. Uh, from Oh, I did have, not his age, but his grade. George King is a senior in high school. Hey, I have faith in myself again. Mm -hmm. uh, and Professor Schoenstein was her violin teacher that she would have been meeting at the house that day. So these two names of one who was at the church uh, near where she was seen last and one who was just going to see her after that are written weirdly on the paper and, and actually in two different kinds of handwriting. It's kind of strange. 
So a real quick dive into Emmanuel Baptist history, which normally church history, um, not not my bag, but this one, uh, this this one gets a little, this one gets a little true crimey, guys. Okay, I'm I'm all ears. This church, um, it had no, not in its current location. These things that I'm going to mention happened in its first location, but uh, the first pastor committed suicide by slitting his throat. Uh, the second pastor shot himself, and in several uh, articles I saw mention of accusations of sexual impropriety. And the third pastor shot and killed the founder and editor of chief of the San Francisco Chronicle, but was San Francisco Chronicle, but was tried and acquitted. Hmm, kind of a curse on pastors there, I think. I I don't know what kind of Jesus these people prayed to, right? <laughs> To be fair, so, every pastor whose kids I have taught has has screwed me out of pay. <laughs> every last single one. Every last single one. And a couple of them killed newspaper publishers. I don't think that has happened. But I am not going to say it hasn't. Yeah. So the church actually moved uh, sometime after 1880 from its original location where these bad things happened. It moved not far, two blocks over, one block up, demolished a few houses and had a fresh start, except those houses were supposedly haunted. Again with the haunting. Yep. <laughs> I'm okay with it. Yeah, yep. yeah. I'm good with it. <laughs> so that was all kind of it was still in the past nobody's thinking of it exactly this morning everybody's everybody's looking to the future and even though there's some trouble brewing and there's concern about blanche when mrs herman nolte miriam lord Catherine stevens and lila berry the last of which was only 15 get together at the church to prepare it for the easter service they're going to clean they're going to decorate they're going to there's going to be flowers everywhere it's going to be an absolute vision uh, they, they're not thinking of any of this. They're just thinking of, of what they have to do today and of, you know, com female companionship. They're chatting a little bit in the church library. And Mrs. Nolte, she's actually the oldest and interestingly not of the congregation. She just came along to help. Uh, she's like, well, this library it has a strange lack of books. And uh, I like to think that Lila, I mean, she's 15. She's so young. I like to think that you remember when you were a kid I don't know, maybe it was just me. But you're talking to adults and all of a sudden you get this like heady rush when they, they treat you in casual conversation like they're like you're one of them. No. No? Just no. me? Okay. No, I've never been one of them. <laughs> never. I'm I'm right there with Amber. I've always no, been the outsider and and by basing on some of the conversations people have, I'm okay with it. Yeah. I'm good. I don't, I don't mean like one of a group. I mean like one of the adults. No, I'm still not that. Yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> I'm playing with a transformer as we speak. All right. Like I, if, I, if, if I actually went to my family reunions, I can almost guarantee they'd still make me sit at the kids' table. I just really liked it when my mom's friends would like talk to me and, and like laugh at my jokes, but like not in a condescending way. And oh, uh, I don't know that. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, just tell me things that like, you know, swear around me. And yeah, I don't know. I always wanted to be an adult when I was growing up. And then when I got to an adult, that stopped. <clears throat> um, um, Christy, I don't even know what it's like to ha to tell a joke and not have people look at me horrified and worried. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> 
So Lila, she's chatting with the adults and she's like, oh, well, I'll go look for the books. Every account of this has something different. She's looking for decorations. She's looking for cups. It's always something different. But really, I wanted to give her that nice moment before she uh, opens up a storage closet next door to the library and finds a young woman's dead body there. Surprise! Uh, this is this is one hell of an Easter egg hunt. I, I hope that the uh, I hope that the outside of the door said supplies, and then <laughs> oh. as, the, as like you open the door, <laughs> big supplies there. Oh my gosh! So this young woman, her dress is torn, her legs are bent underneath her, her hands are cut at the wrists, her she has bruises like fingers on her throat. And still in her body was a knife. It was a table knife, uh, silver, but there had been so many blows made with it that it had actually broken. Uh, she wore a blue dress and there was a library card nearby. And on the library card was Blanche Lamont's name. Uh, have you ever accidentally cut yourself with like a butter knife? No, actually. That shit hurts. I'd rather be cut with a steak knife than with a butter knife. And the fact that it's like a kitchen knife, meaning it's not super sharp. It's probably sharper than a butter knife, but it's not super sharp. Yeah, the thought of being stabbed with that, it's... I think I'd rather be stabbed to death with a really pointy stick. Hmm. Yeah. Good to know, Scott. <laughs> Amber writes that note down. Scott would like to die by pointy stick. Okay. <laughs> so Mrs. Nolte, she takes charge. She sends everyone home and she grabs the pastor. That's Reverend John George Gibson. She brings him to see the body. Rather than call the police, he goes to the undertaker and says, I have a, a body that needs to be removed. Hell of a wrestler. <laughs> the undertaker says, you know, was it a sudden death? And the quote from the Reverend is, no, I shouldn't think so. Please don't tell anyone about this as it will disturb the congregation. Oh, that's the important thing. Yeah, this guy, this guy. And he also is forgetting that four people total have already seen this before he even knew about it. They and they were upset and had every right to go tell their families, you know, and like as they're traumatized and, and release some of that, that grief and trauma. They had gone, they told their families, and the cops actually beat the undertaker to the church. And now Lila Berry, she goes home and tells her mom, and her mom says, you go tell Dr. Vogel, the dentist. Um, and so she tells him, he goes to the church and he identifies the body as Marion Williams. Hmm. I was not expecting also, that. I know. Also known as Minnie. She is 22. She is uh, just a tiny little thing. She's five foot and 90 pounds. And I did have to enjoy that one of the ways that Dr. Vogel identified her was a mole under her chin. That's, that's just so dentisty, you know? <laughs> like, who sees that? Who sees that, that mole under your chin? Only the dentist. This is, this is true. I never thought of that, but you are absolutely correct. Especially when you're five foot. Nobody's looking up at you. That's very true. Yeah. I know that so, feeling. <laughs> so Minnie, she is quite a girl. Oh, my gosh. She found out that her father was cheating on her mother and taking the mistress to church. So she's like, Mom, I think we should go to church today. I mean, we never go. We should go. We should definitely go. You want to go to church? Let's go to church. 
basically blew up her entire family in that manner. Uh, she exposed the affair. Uh, her father never wanted to speak to her again because he th thought that she had ruined his life. In fact, he'd only started speaking to her again off and on in the past year. Uh, and, uh, oh, by the way, the mistress didn't know he was married. <laughs> well, Ouch. that's, that's, that's got a sting. Uh, the, yeah. Nobody wins there except for, yeah, you know, many. Yeah, yeah. Um, the church actually kind of like did the, the 1895 GoFundMe version uh, of, of raising money for uh, Minnie's mom enough to get the, uh, her and the kids back to uh, Canada where they had come from because almost everybody in the story comes from Canada. Uh, but Minnie actually stayed uh, and she went to work uh, as a maid for Clark and Su Susan Morgan. Now, Clark was the proprietor of the California Casket Company. Yes. We have a sunny death. Yeah. And in a dark turn, Minnie uh, spent a while sewing shrouds. That's an interesting job. Yeah, it didn't. I she did it for a while, and then I think she kind of uh, she seemed to get close to the family. She went to work in the household. She actually called Clark grandfather and would talk to him about her romances and her friendships. Hmm. So she was last seen on April twelfth. That is the night before uh, her body was found. She was getting on a ferry to go to a church gathering at Doctor Vogel's, uh, but then she was a no show for the party. Theo did show up late even though he was the secretary for the society that was having the party and everyone kind of comments on how he looks which it, it tends to be referred to as overheated and excited <laughs> horny pinching, yeah <laughs> pinching a tent in his bloomers so and he actually asked to uh to go wash his hands as soon as he arrived wash his uh, hands with his dick <laughs> The meeting ends at 11.30, and uh, everyone goes home except for Durant, who goes to the church at midnight for some reason. Hmm. So here's the evidence that police find in the church. They find the library card, which is not the name of the person who is laying there, a bloody footprint or two near the body, blood spatters that look off. It it looked like somebody was trying to make it look even bloodier than it was. Like somebody had smeared them all over their like finger painting and having fun with it. Oh, um, finger painting with seven that's fingers. That's what I was picturing. Well, I was, I was picturing just putting like a, a handful of blood and then just like, like how I do the kids when I'm washing the dishes, like sprinkle, sprinkle, sprinkle. Like <laughs> Having fun with it. Yeah, it was just, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, she, she had, uh, as they put it in the old-timey text, uh, her body had been outraged after her death. Uh, oh, some of the oh, wounds... Oh, Wait, yeah. what? Outraged. Uh, she... Necrophilia. Oh, okay. And some of the wounds also came after death, including the ones on her, uh, on her wrists. Uh, she was... Oh, this part, I have a hard time with this because it just it gives me a gaggy feeling in my throat. Sorry. She was gagged with her own white lace underskirt. Mm. And there was a stick found under her body uh, that had been used to push the cloth down her throat. I mean, they had a hard time getting that cloth out. It's, it was it was deep in there. And uh, the, that stick was actually a sharpened drawer slide from a, a table in the library. I'm regretting my whole pointed stick decision. Oh, are you? <laughs> yeah. It's too late now, Scott. 
Damn it. It's written in stone. <laughs> there are also lacerations on her tongue, just to round everything out in a horrifying manner. Well, I mean, she had a sharp stick in her mouth, so it could... That's true, yeah. I would assume the lacerations are from the stick forcing her panties or whatever down her throat. Yeah. Ugh. It just gives me some, the weirdest mouthfeel. So the cops go to Clark Morgan's house because, you know, they're like Minnie and she worked for the Morgans. And he says, well, Minnie had some weird experiences with Theo Durant and their ears perk up. Uh, Theo Durant had called on her there and she'd gone on a picnic with him when he made uh, what's referred to as a base proposition. He basically said, we should go bang, you know. Um, she said she was offended and seemed suspicious of him, but then she kept up the relationship. Warrants are put out for Theo Durant's house and church. Uh, Durant is not there, but his mom is, and she is bitchy about this. She says, well, he didn't even know many. And I have a quote from here here. He has too many young lady acquaintances of his own class and social standing to be under the necessity of paying attention to a little servant girl. Oh, I yeah. talk to these people all the time at my job. <laughs> <laughs> and she says that to the press, who, of course, are also there because they have, you know, there's there's just the cops, the police were just leaks everywhere to the. It was a direct line to the newspapers. They know everything that the cops are doing five seconds before they do it. So um, it's pretty much proven that he must know her because otherwise the two pictures of her that they find in his room are kind of out of place. And that's a little weird. And why are you collecting pictures of servant girls you don't know, buddy? They, all, they also find in the closet three shoes. And I'm not talking about three pairs of shoes. I'm talking about three shoes. One pair and then one shoe that was missing its mate. And they don't even bother with it. That is a, that's a strange thing to keep. Almost like a serial killer keeping a trophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also were, well, what I was thinking is stepped in blood through the shoe away. Ah. But ooh. kept the other one for some reason. I don't know. Uh, he uh, Maybe he wanted to find another pair like it, so he needed it for reference. Or he had to hop home. Yeah. <laughs> there we go, yeah. That's a good image. They, I like that. <laughs> they also find his coat, and in it they find a lady's pocketbook. Minis. Of course. Join us again next week for part two of the strange tale of Theodore Durant. My sources are The Devil You Know, The Lurid Affair of the Sunday School Strangler by C.J. March, Jason Lucky Morrow on Historical Crime Detective, Find a Grave, Gary Camilla and Katie Dowd both on sfgate.com, and of course Wikipedia. Wikipedia.